Hi guys, and welcome back to A Journey of a Fearless Female with your host, Paola Rosser. Today is a touchy subject. It is a hard subject to talk about, but it's something that we all definitely need to hear. I'm just going to say it's going to be about domestic abuse. So this might have some triggers for some of you ladies, but for others, I just want you guys to please listen with an open heart and an open mind and just know that there's a lot of people who have either experienced domestic abuse or are experiencing it today. My guest today, her name is Tyler, and I've known Tyler almost all my life. (laughs) I've known her since junior high. We were cheerleaders together (laughs) and high school, and we just grew up together. And just actually, our reunion of our friendship happened because I was getting out of an abusive relationship, and she was there for me. She was there for me like somebody that I did not expect. I had posted on Facebook what had happened to me and she reached out, even though we had not talked for a long time, she reached out and she literally comforted me and she talked to me every single day when it was such a traumatic event for me. And I didn't know that the reason why she was such an angel was because she too had been a part of a domestic abusive relationship. Nearly one in four women have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner during their lifetime. In the U.S. alone, 20 people per minute are physically abused by their loved one. And nationally, 50% of batterers who abuse their intimate partner also abuse their children. And men who were exposed to domestic abuse as a child are three to four times more likely to become abusers when they grow up. And shockingly, most of these cases of abuse or domestic abuse are never reported to the police. So please welcome my amazing friend, Tyler. She's going to tell us her story. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am honored (laughs) to be able to have you here. And she's actually my first guest in studio. So this is pretty amazing. I want a ribbon or something for that. Uh, Yes, I'm going to get I'm going to make ribbons (laughs) for studio guests. Yeah, no, you picked a pretty heavy one for your. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm. I just put out there, I wanted people to share their stories. You know, it, it's a heavy topic. And I was surprised. You were like, I, I think I will I, do it. I will do it. I'm going to share my story. She said, it's going to be... Because it needs to be a constructive conversation. Yes. We need, we need to talk about this in a way to educate as opposed to after the fact. And oh, well, yeah. that's so sad that happened. Yeah. You know, I think about so much of my situation could have been avoided if I had had any of the knowledge yeah. Of what to look for. Or if you had someone to talk or to. Or if I had somebody to talk to that didn't tell me something, you know, pull up your big girl panties, that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, this isn't something I normally share with people just kind yeah. of my private business, but... A lot um, of people don't share. Yeah, because it's shameful. It feels shameful. It's you feel the, guilty. the feeling. I, I don't personally feel guilty. Yeah. But this, you know, this happened a while back for me, but you feel shame for, for how somebody treated you. And just, you know, the kind of things that you don't, they don't shed such a great light on you, you no. feel. So you don't kind of, you don't really I think bring it's it up. funny because a lot of people make it seem like you're the idiot for allowing this to happen, right. but they right. don't understand just how. Well, it's like, it's like a five prong process, you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't it just start like, out <laughs> with getting punched in the face. No, it doesn't. They, and they don't understand that that no. didn't happen that way. And it's so much of it is psychological and emotional. And then, you know, after that, there's financial and then they get to 
to the like physical or the sexual if that ever happens, you know? Yeah. And for a lot of people, if you don't know the early signs, mm -hmm. you're in deep and you're you're in a position where how am I going to get out of this? Oh, yeah. By the time that time it's, starts, it's gotten real by then. Yeah. It's like you're yeah. in too deep, mm -hmm. too deep. Yeah. Mine very much. It, it was a situation. I, I met this person. He was very agreeable, very kind, very energetic, very friendly, you know, fairly good looking personality, lots of personality, lots of goals and, you know, passionate about life, passionate about so many things. And, you know, pulled me in with like being so interested about my life and, you know, oh, you're just so beautiful and this, that, and whatever. And, you know, up, up until that point, I had mostly dated, you know, boys. Yeah. Boys. This was, I was maybe 28, 29 when I met him. And yeah, up until then, it's not, you know, it's, it's, nothing it's, kid, it's kid stuff. It's nothing. And, and I thought, oh, here's a man. <laughs> He's <laughs> charismatic. Is, right, which is so funny now. I'm like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> I have a toddler who some of her tantrums are like very reminiscent. Uh-huh. Of who you are. Of who I know of him, you know. Oh, really? Oh, big time. I'm going to. Oh, God. And I thought that was a man. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, very agreeable. Nothing, nothing too notable in the beginning. It never is. It never is. It never is. It's all I mean, they have to they have to sell you somehow. Yeah, they have to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. um, I did always have a kind of like that little feeling of discomfort. Yeah, even from the beginning. And I know people go, Oh, well, you know, you're supposed to trust your gut and you're supposed to get out. That was my norm. I grew up in a dysfunctional home. I grew up, I had never seen a healthy relationship modeled to me. If you haven't seen it, you don't know what it is. If, if it doesn't matter as if it's your norm, no matter how unhealthy it's your norm. Yep. And that's what you gravitate towards. Exactly. And if feeling horrible every day or feeling anxious every day is what you're used to, yep. you'll gravitate towards a situation that allows you to do that because exactly. you don't know there's any other way to feel. That's what my therapist told it's me. It's absolutely true. She said, the reason why you would follow all these domestic, like mm -hmm. abusive men, even I would have abusive bosses and stuff. Yes. Mentally abusive Abusive bosses, friendships. Abusive yeah. friendships. And mm -hmm. she's like, because you, your tolerance level is lower right. than a normal person's. Because exactly. I grew up in Be abusive because and abusive that's home. all you know. Yeah. Right. So I, you know, looking at it now, I could say, oh, from the very beginning. Yeah. But it really was just my norm. There wasn't anything really out of place, even though this person right off the bat was, you know, 45 minutes late mm. for, for dinner. Yeah. And it's like, wow, how impressive, you know, <laughs> but it's like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's no big deal. It's, you know, like it just give them another chance or, you know, that's not it's no, you know, I'm almost 40 now and you're disrespecting my time yeah. right off the bat. Yes. And those things that you wouldn't accept now as a 40 year old woman at 28, it was acceptable. And with no tools. Yeah. You had no tools. No tools whatsoever to know that you really just can't say, forget it. <laughs> no, I'm out of here. No, thanks. Bye. Game over. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of that during the relationship of just accepting behavior. Mm -hmm. Even though it felt horrible, there was a lot of not knowing like exactly how crazy this behavior is. Yeah. And that this is like, this is where you get your backpack and you like hop on yeah. the train. You get out of there. Yeah. So, I mean, super normal, super just, you know, I, I think I 
at the time tended to chalk up any of the uncomfortableness to just you that's know, the way it is that's the way it is or yeah. you know what another thing is you know he was a little bit older than me and I'm, I'm thinking well I'd only dated boys until then so maybe this is how men are <laughs> yeah you know no and it's it, not well, how, back now, then, back now then it was I go like yes that's this is how men are they're right, crazy right this like, is why my mom always complains right and now it's like oh no those are the ones like you yell fire and get out yeah I mean I think I thought I could figure it out yeah. I could figure out how to navigate this narcissistic nightmare of a human being's like mental process yeah to a point where there could be harmony and you know you don't know until later until you do the work there's no point in that there's no so i could have saved you could say myself a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble but you can't do that if you don't know and if you don't have the tools if you don't have the tools and i think that's one of the biggest reasons why i wanted to do this podcast specifically because there's a lot of things that we don't talk about Right. We don't say what's going on behind closed doors Mm -hmm. because you're ashamed. Mm -hmm. You feel as if, you know, maybe it was your fault. And this is the reason why. Or maybe that's who I really am. Yeah. Or, or, you know, for me specifically, you know, I grew up with an abusive mother who always told me I was unlovable. So when the abuse happened, I, I would just in my head... Think, well, of course. Well, it, of course. I'm unlovable. I'm unlovable. My right. mom told me since I right. was little. So I deserve right. this sort of punishment. Right. I deserve this sort of treatment. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you just allow it and you continue to allow it. And I think they're almost like children. Like you said. Yes. They push the limits. Like, oh, if she's going to allow me to do this, then I can do this. Then I can do that. Oh, yeah. No, I, you know, they say there's that no test now. <laughs> I failed that sucker like right off the bat. Like, <laughs> I mean, there were so many no's from like day one. But no, they push it. And I mean, that was just it. Is I, I grew up in a home where the feelings were not identifiable. Mm-hmm. So on the inside, you're raging and you're sad and you're all these things and you don't know what they are. Yeah. So you, you act out or you this, that or whatever. And, you know, I was, oh, she's just neurotic. Yeah. She's, I you know, my mother crazy. always, <laughs> yeah, my mom was always, oh, she's just neurotic. My aunt, oh, she's just, you know, she's the crazy one. That kind of thing. And so automatically my feelings were invalid from the time I was like, how high? Yes. You know, old enough to know something was off. So of course this man's going to invalidate my feelings. Of course his go-to is going to be, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. So the more intense or the stranger his behavior got, his go-to was oh, no, you're crazy. This is, you know, you're nuts. You're that. I mean, to the point where you start thinking that you are. Yeah. And you start trying to play on that field. You believe what they tell you. Sure. Because you've you've lost the ability to believe in yourself. What what you're saying in your head, you go, oh, you question it. Is that real? Well, I'm always talking about like negative thoughts, your Mm -hmm. own negative Mm self-talk. And it always comes from something. And mine Mm -hmm. came a lot from the things that I was told as a child, you know, and I already have them replaying in my head. So when that person would would say the things that I'm already replaying in my head, it was almost validating like, oh, it's right. I am unlovable. I I do deserve this Mm -hmm. pain. I do deserve. I am am, a throwaway. I am crazy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This whole time I've been told I was crazy. So I am crazy. But really the crazy was, we were fighting against what we both knew was not normal. Being abused. Something growing, deep down. Yeah. Growing Something up in down. the way we grew up, we both knew 
that it was not normal. Right. I just didn't know what was normal and I didn't know how to get out of this. Yeah. But we had that feeling. There was still, yeah, I think that I still just had that tiny little bit of a voice left Mm -hmm. that kept you know, because it would have been so easy just to give in, give in and, and you go, that's it. Yeah. That's what it is now. So there are like eight warning signs. I mm-hmm. looked them up on the domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And one of them is excessive charm. Absolutely. And that's exactly what they you gotta just said. They got to sell you. That's what you just said. Mm-hmm. He, excessive charm, mm-hmm. lying to cover up insecurity. Absolutely. Needing to win over your friends. Absolutely. And family immediately. Yes. Did he immediately try to like win oh, over your friends? He, oh, he put it on so thick. It was... So all of your friends and family loved yeah, him Yeah, and first. what's funny is afterwards, you know, so many of my friends, oh, he made me uncomfortable. He this, he that. Because the thing about a narcissist and an abuser is that they can't read a room. No. So they keep going on that plot that's in their head and thinking that they're just like, oh, look Winning at me. Winning everyone over. And meanwhile, half of the women are going, oh, he's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I don't like this. They can't read a room. Yeah. And what's crazy is us women, when someone makes us uncomfortable, we don't leave. No, we fight that urge. We try and justify it. We try. We think that we have to overcome it. And I spent this entire relationship feeling like I needed to overcome being uncomfortable. Yeah. When it's like, no, you're supposed to be uncomfortable in this. And the uncomfortable is what makes you get up and, and leave. leave. Yeah. But we don't because we're told we have to be nice. Right. Be nice. Courteous mm-hmm. and you respect the man. Right. <laughs> um, another thing that they says, over-the-top gestures that seem too much Absolutely. too soon. Absolutely. Bombarding you with numerous texts and emails in a short time, behaving obsessively and insisting that you get serious immediately. Yes, there was uh, that was intermittent because there, again, on top of the abuse was narcissism. So it was like extreme, intense involvement and then neglect involvement and then neglect he needed to be able to get a hold of me when he felt like it i was not able to get a hold of him kind of thing go off and leave for five days come back and want to you know be in everything in my business it was you i couldn't keep track yeah it was but it was there all of that everything yeah absolutely i had that too where i remember before I was, when I was single, I, the first person I would call as soon as I got off work was my sister. And I would just tell her about my day and this person and that person. Well, when I started dating him, we were only together for like a week or two weeks. And he knew that I got off work at five and I would call him like at six. And he would say, well, well, you've been off of work for an hour. Why didn't you call me? And I would say, well, I, I call my sister first. It's something that I do all the time. I just call my sister to tell her how much. That's my... not acceptable. No, immediately he <laughs> said, well, now I'm your boyfriend. So yeah, you call me yeah. first and you call your sister second. And I was like, okay, you know, because I didn't want, you know, I want. You don't want to rock the boat. No. And you think it's no big deal because it's new. Yeah, it's new. And it's like, I wanted to be in a mm-hmm. relationship so bad. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to follow what you say. Yeah. And the second clear sign is jealousy. Responding irrationally when you interact with other people, becoming angry when you speak to the opposite sex, accusing you of flirting, cheating, resenting your time with friends and family, and demanding to know all the details of your private life. I'll give you a good one. Uh, (laughs) Extremely jealous. Extremely. But then it was 
absolutely acceptable and almost a source of pride for him that his business partner grabbed my ass <gasps> inappropriately at his wife's 40th birthday party in front of everybody. It was a source of pride kidding? because I was the hot little wife. <gasps> and these granola women, I was like, oh, I'm going to grab that. And my husband was actually, yeah, at the time he, he, didn't was, even... he was proud of that. Wow. Oh, no, he never confronted. It was a source of like that juvenile, like giggly. And I felt completely violated. He, for the most part, didn't care what I was doing if it was while he was getting away with whatever he wanted to get away with. So if he was with another woman or if he was off doing what he shouldn't be doing, mm -hmm. he didn't care what I was doing. He cared about very odd, random things and they changed. So you could never keep up. Initially, he was very supportive of me going to therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's going to be so great for you because your family just really did a number on you. <laughs> and you you're know, the crazy one. <laughs> and, and you're the crazy one and you need to go sort this out and all this. Well, he baited me because the second I started going, I mean, he harassed me incessantly about what I was talking about in therapy, needing to know every detail, wanting, thinking that he had the right to call my therapist and find out what we had talked about. Wow. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he very, it was very inappropriate in what he thought were just his rights yeah like it, it was just oh my goodness with me I remember one time um we were at a party at a, like a house party or whatever and I put my arm around his friend not even my arm it was literally my elbow set on top of his friend's shoulder I was just kind of leaning we were in a circle we were all just talking mm -hmm. and when the party was over you would have thought like I I killed his dog. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he was like, how the dare you? The minute you were in the car. The minute I was yep. by him, by ourselves, <laughs> how dare you? And oh, I yeah. was like completely lost because the rest of the party, we were fine. We were drinking, having fun. But he was putting on the show. Yeah. And then the moment we got in the car, yeah. it was like, you're a slut. You're yes. this. You're that. Every word mm -hmm. in the book because mm -hmm. I put my elbow on mm -hmm. his friend's shoulder. Yeah. And I was just like, are you kidding me? But he made me feel so guilty. I mean, we got in such a huge fight that I couldn't even sleep all night because I, I felt really, he made me feel really bad. I thought, man, I really, I really am a slut. I really, I really did cross the line. I really, they make you second guess yourself. He yeah, the second guessing. I never felt, I always thought in my head, I'm like, dude, I'm like the most chaste I've ever been in my life if you knew. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that would never have been good enough for him. You know, I remember he would go on business trips and, depending on the mood, when I dropped him off at the airport, I would get phone calls at two in the morning of him just, oh, the sexual things he suggested I go do to other people. I can't even say I will never repeat the things. Wow. Yeah, that I was such a whore that I needed to go hop on this and ride that. And <gasps> Unbelievable. Uh, there were some racist implications in there that flew out of his mouth. And was he drunk or he was he might have been. And then the, the next morning, like nothing. Hey, how's your day? I get a text like, hope you have a good day. Yeah, oh and meanwhile, I'm like, I'm going to set your clothes on fire. Like <laughs> I, you just called me A, B and C. You yeah. just, you know. But for him, he just completely forgot. Unbelievable. Just didn't care. No, I don't think that he forgot. What I think is he just, he didn't care. He just, you say what you say, what I say goes. And that's that. Uh, the third clear warning sign is control telling you what to wear, how to fix your hair, when to speak, what to think, 
showing up uninvited at your house, school, or job, checking your cell phone, emails, Facebook, going through your belongings, following you, sexually coercing you, and making you feel bad about yourself. To some extent, narcissists are a little different in that way. He didn't check my phone. He didn't check my email. He didn't do those things because in in his head, I would never do that to him because he was so wonderful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I did date a narcissist once. They do do act like that. It it is bad news. (laughs) There's no way you'd ever leave him because he's like God's gift to women. Yeah. I, how do I argue with that? I mean, sure, you're fabulous. <laughs> but no, he's constantly making me feel bad. Constantly, you know, comments, inappropriate comments about my body. The sexual thing, the sexual coercion and the not reading cues and the kind of like, it just, yeah, there was a lot of that. The control kind of came mostly once we were married and it was financial, which is a huge factor in abuse that we don't talk about enough. Because everybody thinks that they would know if it were to happen to them, they know what to do. They know how to get out. And they don't understand when other people can't get out or continue to go back. Um, A huge factor in that is the control of the financial abuse. I was not a good wife. I was a horrible woman. I was a whore. I was all these things because I wasn't doing my job of standing by his side and being there to support him when he needed it because I worked. And I was not supposed to work. But... He wasn't going to pay my bills. That was my problem. So how can you win? You can't win. Yeah. But, you know, so you you try to ride a line. You're constantly trying to, like, keep something, some type of independence for yourself while appeasing this person so things don't get worse. Yeah. And then you look down and you go, I can't take care of myself anymore because I fell off the fence. Like, yeah, you know, there's no way to be able to satisfy what he wanted because he wanted you to stay home, not work, but still pay your own bills. Right. And that is control. So if Mm -hmm. you're feeling controlled, get out. It's a red flag. Another one is isolation, insisting you only spend time with him, making you emotionally and um, psychologically dependent, which is the yeah, money control, absolutely. preventing you from seeing your family and friends or going to school or work. He didn't prevent me, but he definitely put his two cents into the point where you decide on your own, like it's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth what you're going to come home to if you go and do these things. You go hang out with your friends. Right. It's not worth, um, you know, the blackout drunk shoving you into the whatever because you looked at so-and-so. Yeah. Um, because the, the instances, I would say that my abusive situation, primarily emotional, psychological, you know, verbal, secondly, would be financial, and thirdly, and least often, mm-hmm. was the physical abuse. But instances that it did happen, well, I'll do whatever to not have that happen again. Yes. And it's, it's crazy to me, because I always talk about this, because I had a lot of emotionally abusive men that I mm-hmm. dated. For me, when I had I had two of them that were physically abusive, the physical abuse you could forget. I can, yeah. The emotional it's the abuse least damaging to me. I think so too. The emotional abuse is something that you cannot get rid of. It takes a long time, and it's like that. It's a it's a job for the rest of your life. Yeah, it is. It's a job, job to retrain your brain for the rest of my life to get that emotional abuse out of there mm-hmm. because the physical stuff the bruises all the oh, scratches yeah. all that stuff you could forget like yeah it's like you know you had a baby you forgot how much it hurt 
But when it came to like the emotional abuse and the things that they said to you, that's something that just repeats in your head over and over. I, I never replay the physical incidents. It, it's funny to me. Like it, it doesn't give me that. At the time, it was very traumatic. Yes. But that's not what replays in my head. Yeah. It's the what emotional. Replay, it's the words. It's the isolation. It's... It's how you felt. Right. And it's also not just him, but childhood. So you just have these stream. Once you open that gate, you've got a stream of it coming at you. Yes. And so that's the job for my the rest of my life. Yes. Is to get yourself mm-hmm. out of that raging stream. Mental, yeah. The fifth red flag is sabotage, making you miss work, school, an interview, a test, or competition by starting a fight, having a meltdown or getting sick, breaking up with you, hiding your keys, wallet, textbooks, or phone, stealing any of your belongings. Any of that happen? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, sabotage. Completely sabotage. He sabotaged my life. It didn't even have to be a specific you know, school or work or this or that. He just always came first. And if I wasn't going to go with that, he found a way to make that happen. Yeah. He just sabotaged everything. Everything. I mean, he could sabotage a nail appointment <laughs> because he was throwing a tantrum. Yeah, you know? because you weren't spending enough time with him. Well, and the thing is, is he didn't want anything to do with me. He didn't really want to spend time with me. He didn't want me at all. He just didn't want me out of his sight. He didn't want me with anybody else and he wanted me to always be accessible. Yes. He didn't want you to no have a life. <laughs> yeah. Um, number six is criticism. Calling you overweight, ugly, stupid, crazy, ridiculing your beliefs, ambitions, or friends, telling you that he or she is the only one that really cares about you, brainwashing you to feel like you're worthless. Yes. Yes to all of it. Yeah. I had that. I mean, all of it. I remember him telling me like he did it like the way I looked, the way I cooked how I did my hair, the outfit I was wearing to work. He would tell me that all my friends at the time, I had a really good friend. He would say that she was trying to sabotage our relationship and she hated it. Or so-and-so was jealous of you because of your, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so- She's jealous because of you, you have me and you and she has nobody. And I'm like, really? It's like, funny how they I all- I want her to have you. <laughs> right? Like, please. Take him, please. <laughs> if they all have the same script in one way or another. It's just like the delivery might be a little different, but it is always the same. That's why it's critical for you to really pay attention to Absolutely. these these warning signs because they all it's crazy. We're talking about two different men that we dated and they're exactly the same. <laughs> exact same story, exact same things, and you really need to pay attention to these warning signs because mm-hmm. if you're somehow experiencing one or two, just even if you're only experiencing one, eventually number 2, number 3, number 4 and number 5 they're all going to start showing up. It doesn't happen. Yeah, they're not quitters. They're, they're, they're going to And do it doesn't it all. happen right away. Like Tyler was saying, she met him, he was charming, he was charismatic, he was amazing. They all are in the beginning, but eventually their signs start to show. The red flags start to come out. Number 7 is blame. Making you feel guilty and responsible for his or her behavior, blaming the world for you or his problems, emotional manipulation, this is your fault. Absolutely. And he was always the victim. It was always, always, always the victim. It was always your fault. It was always my fault. It was always the business partner's fault. It was never his fault. There was no amount of taking responsibility. There was no accountability whatsoever. And he could twist a story. And I mean, I'm so sick of hearing the word intrinsic 
intrinsic. He really? would use that. He would like lace it in to make this big spun out story about, oh, it was just, yeah, the How face you're making or the cringe. He <laughs> I'm never used it right. right he now. Never, let me, I'll tell you right now, he, he did not actually know the definition of the word because he never used it I right. I know. That's why I'm looking but at you like, well, how no, is he using that? that? Was the, no, not correctly. But he would woven stories of like with such big words and all these about the world being so, you know, this to basically say it's everybody else's fault and not mine. He had these big, really heavy reasonings and justifications that were just like, as I said before, the physical violence was pretty minimal. um, But there was one time that I did have to get the police involved and he was arrested. Pictures were taken of my face, legs, feet, stomach. He went to jail for the evening and the DA decided to let him out on his own recognizance. And when he was out, he called me and said, why don't we just say one, two, three, I'm sorry, at the same time, and then it's over. And I said, we're not, we're not going to do that. And he said, you know, this is causing a lot of problems for me because now I'm going to have to do, you know, court or I'm going to have to this and I'm that. And, you know, I'm just going to talk to the police department. I'm going to offer to pay for their time because this is just such a misunderstanding. So he literally thought, like, I, I was so worthless that he could just, like, pay off beating me up oh to the gosh. police. Like, it made sense in his head that he could bribe the police department. Yeah. And it's yeah. your fault. That, that was my ca- fault. Because I was causing him problems. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, I'm a bloody mess. Yes. I'm emotionally just freaking devastated, traumatized. But just a couple hundred dollars is going to erase everything. Right. He was very mad at me that he had to sit in a dirty jail cell and then had to throw his clothes away when he oh. got out. And that was that was just super. The biggest injustice to him in this situation was that I was I was wasting his time. He had to throw his clothes away because they were dirty from sitting in jail. And that was more important. That was more important than the fact that, you know, I was standing there beat to shit. Yeah. Yeah. That you were beat up. Yep. Because again, it's, it's blame. It's blame. And yeah. Yeah. It's all my fault. (laughs) Was he an only child? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh Yeah. No, he could not get enough of himself. Yeah. I'm not trying to say anything about only children, (laughs) Um, but I'm saying most of the time. There's a, you know what? As a mother of an only child, you have to pay very close attention because I see how easily it goes that way. Yeah. And you have to kind of veer all the way the other to not give them that entitlement and the like, mommy's brave little soldier, you yes, know, mentality. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's not not trying to say anything about only children because I have a niece who's an only child and she's amazing. But it's a but factor. She was al- it's a factor. She was always exposed to other people so that she knows she's not the only one in the world. Right. And so I think a lot of those men that act that way, I think narcissistic men, especially, absolutely, were only children and they believe that the sun rose and set on their butt, basically. Well, and other people in their life growing up seconded that. They, they made sure that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, you're not feeling so great. Let me feel, make you feel better about yourself. Let me, yeah, no, the sun does rise and set with you, yeah. you know? And that's just, it's, it's hard to say, but it's true. I mean, I mean, only children, they usually are. I think it has a lot more to do with the parenting. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, you know, that's a huge responsibility. Were, were his parents abusive or no? Mother was narcissistic. Father was not there. Passed away, but um, at, at, at a pretty like important age. 
But that doesn't give you the right to be an asshole. You no, know? it doesn't. Mine passed away when I was 13. It doesn't give me the right to be an asshole. You know, yeah. all of us as human beings have all kinds of things happen. So yeah. when I, you know, that was very much an excuse. Yeah. Um, My dad that died. Time. Yeah. And, and to me, it's like, no, that's, that's not. Yeah. That's never an excuse. No, it's not. And the last eight, number eight is anger, overreacting to small problems, frequently losing control, violent outbursts, having severe mood swings, drinking and partying excessively when upset, making threats, picking fights, having a history of violent behavior and making you feel afraid. Yes, all, all of it, it. <laughs> all of it. And he was constantly putting me in unsafe situations. Ooh. And I was a wuss. Because I didn't like it. Like, I needed to toughen up because this is how everybody is. Yeah. Like, his um, friend grabbing your butt, that is an unsafe yeah. situation. And for him to, like... But that was totally okay. And, I mean, that's the least of it. I'm not, you know... Basically, anytime you feel unsafe, anytime things are going on around you that you are uncomfortable with for your physical well-being, your mental well-being, like, if you express that to your partner, their response should be, I absolutely understand. Let's go. Yes, Not exactly. Suck it up. You're staying. We're doing this. Yeah. Right. That should never be his response. No. At all. No. Okay, so those are the eight signs, the warning signs. I got these off of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And for those of you who have been listening to this episode, and one of these eight is something that's going on in your relationship right now, be sure to call 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233 or visit www.thehotline.org. This is a very important conversation. I'm so excited that Tyler came and spoke to everyone about her story and how she got out of it. So now what would you give these women as a nugget of wisdom and the lessons that you've learned? Oh, geez. You should never have to compromise like your mental, emotional, physical well-being in order to be loved. Like if it's ever a bargain, like you have to bargain for it, like just that's not love. You need to go. You need to get out. If you can't trust your gut because you don't have it, trust your body. If you start getting a lot of headaches, if you get the stomach aches, if you're getting anxiety, trust that that that's a sign. And if you don't know how to do either, talk to somebody, talk to a friend, find a therapist. Yeah, Talkspace. Learn your tools. Yeah, Talkspace.com. If you do not have, you know, the insurance will cover it. It's worth it, guys. Spend like, a, I think it's like 50 to to $100 for one session of therapy. It is so valuable to sit. And I have had people who say, oh, I just could talk to my friend. No, because sometimes your friend doesn't have the tools right. to help you. Right, right. And sometimes your friend doesn't want to tell you the truth because they don't want to hurt your feelings and they mm -hmm. don't want you to feel like they're jealous or whatever. But it's a very important subject. It's crazy because a lot of people think, oh, it will never happen to me. I'm too smart or I've watched enough Lifetime movies to know all the signs and right. I know how to do it. <laughs> Honestly, once it starts happening, you're in too deep. You're in too deep and you'll never win. You'll so never don't, win. don't try to fight. Don't try to play. It's not a game. Just walk away. Find exactly. a way out. Find a way out. Find someone that can help you. And sometimes you just have to completely cut them off of your life. And that's what I did. I had to change my phone number. I had to change the locks on my apartment because mm -hmm. he had a key to my apartment. And I had to make sure that someone, a man, called him and said, stop calling her because mm -hmm. he would not stop. 
These are very important. There are women that actually don't survive domestic abuse and actually die because it gets to that point where he has lost all control. So this is an important subject and know that your story can change people. And I'm so thankful that Tyler came out here and had the courage to talk about what happened to her in her life. And even though it's a part of her story, it doesn't define her. She is now uh, a mother of one and she is in a loving relationship. An amazing man. She is a hairstylist and her business is booming and things actually have changed. And she is happy for the first time in a long time Uh, probably ever (laughs) (laughs) probably ever and a huge part of that is ladies boundaries yes boundaries are very important to create your own happiness exactly and she has learned all the tools now Mm -hmm. and that's all we're trying to do is teach you guys the tools that we didn't have when we were going through it Thank you for listening. This is A Journey of a Fearless Female with your host, Paola Rosser. Please hit subscribe, leave a comment, tell all your fearless female friends to listen to this podcast. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon next week. Goodbye.